0: Hello, everybody. This is Craig. Just before we get into this episode, I wanted to provide just a couple of updates to some things. Decided I would go ahead and add that here at the top of the episode. First and foremost, you can see by the episode description that today we're joined by Lou Mangello, and we're so happy to be able to have him on the show today to talk all thanks Tron. But you might be asking yourself, how do you have Lou Mangello on and not talk to him about the change in leadership at the top of the Walt Disney Company between Bob Chapik and Bob Iger? So I will mention to that Brett and I actually recorded this episode with Lou the week before all of the news broke on that. And if you wanted to hear some of our thoughts, our rapid thoughts in the moment as they were happening, you can go back and listen to our disenchanted episode that we dropped earlier this week. And about the 14 minute mark, we find out about the news and it really just completely changes the episode for us. So that is why we don't ask Lou any questions about that this episode. But who knows, maybe in the future as this uh, situation unfolds, we will certainly hear from Lou uh, on his show, WDW Radio, and go and check out him and support him in all ways that you can. Speaking of Lou, if you are listening to us for the very first time because you're coming over from WDW Radio, I do want to say welcome. Thank you so much for checking us out. You can definitely come back to the archives and you can see some interviews that we've done with lots of Disney celebrities and also Disney legends. I think in particular, you all might be really interested in the conversation that we had with some of the Imagineers like Tony Baxter. And we just were able to talk to Doris Hardoon and to Robert Coltrane, who just became Disney Legends at this past D23 Expo in 2022. So go and check out some of those conversations. We also just like to talk all things Disney. So go check out the feed. We have about 185-ish episodes that you can go back and check out if you're brand new to the show. For those of you that have been around for a while with us, I do realize that this episode is coming out the day after Thanksgiving. And I want to just say thank you so much to all of you for continuing to support the show. It really means a lot when you reach out to us or when you talk to us in Beyond the Mouse podcast, pals. It just is great to get to hear from you. And we really do appreciate all of your support. We particularly appreciate the support of the people that have jumped on to our Patreon. It's so great. You know, when you start something like this you're not sure exactly if anybody's going to jump on board and people have and it's been a really fun community in our private Facebook page that we have going on we like to do updates after every episode now and we're starting to record some special episodes for our patrons as well so if you want to join certainly go and check out patreon.com slash beyond the mouse but then also wanted to give a shout out to our folks who have already jumped on like Greg Woods at that Space Mountain tier as well as John Castanho and also Jonathan Garth who's a brand new patron at the Space Mountain tier. So thank you so much, Jonathan, for that. Justin Suter, our buddy from DDP today, couldn't do it without his support, really. He's also a Space Mountain supporter. Kelby Dolan, Michael Taylor, and of course the wonderful Tristan Tapscott, who's rounding out that Space Mountain tier as well. Thank you so much to all of them for the support. In the Seven Doors Mine Train tier, we have Keith Carver and Maureen Stevens. And then in the Big Thunder Mountain tier, we have B Bonner. Joel DeWitt. Judy McAvoy and Sarah Castanhos. That that family really loves us, and we are so appreciative of their support. In fact, you're going to be hearing from John in the very near future because we just recorded an episode all about Run Disney, which should come out here if not next week, in the next couple of weeks. So I'm going to get out of the way of the episode here. It's a great conversation about Tron, but just thank you again, and thank you for this community. Thank you to Lou for joining us to this episode. And here we go, all things
1: Tron. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that was all started by a mouse.
0: Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney, for NPR Illinois Community Voices, and for the Front Row Network. I'm here today with one of my co-hosts, but then also a very special guest. So first, my co-host, Mr. Brett Rutherford. How are you? Great, thanks. Yes. (laughs) It's uh, really nice to see you, buddy, and to be able to talk about Tron in particular. This also happens to be kind of your birthday month. So I know that. Yes, it's uh, this kind was of my a- birthday month. Yeah. So (laughs) happy belated birthday to you at this point, but it's really nice to get to chat with you. It's also really nice to invite back a guest that we had on right after the theme parks reopened from COVID-19 to talk about why it was the best time to go and view the parks and see them with this uh, low attraction weights and to see them sort of uh, come back to life after this crazy situation that we had all been in. But of course, uh, listeners, you know him as an extremely successful podcaster with WDW radio, but he also does so much coaching on the side as well uh, through his site, Lou I'm sure that he can talk a bit about that as well, but Lou Mongello, it's so nice to have you back on the show.
1: Craig and Brett, thanks so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. Good to see you guys. Great.
0: Yes. And now Tron, I know I I pitched this idea for this episode to you by saying, I know you get a chance to talk about the attractions so much. And certainly I want to talk about Tron light, light cycle. But what I love about listening to WDW radio as well is that you also are quite the nerd when it comes to your movies (laughs) and you're a product of the 80s and so I love that you bring up things like Tron and Black Hole and all these other films that the Disney company has brought to us and I thought it would be great to not only talk about the upcoming attraction that will open next spring at Walt Disney World and that you've had a chance to ride in Shanghai but also talking about the movies that brought us that attraction so the original Tron which is celebrating 40 years this year and then also um, of of course, Tron Legacy, which come out came out in 2010, and uh, so I wanted to talk about both of those for a little bit. So I guess Lou, where we should start is, what's your history with this film franchise?
1: So first, I have to thank you because this is like a nerd intervention for me. Like I don't get to talk <laughs> this with a lot of people because they're like really, Mangello, Tron, eighty <laughs> two. They're gonna be sit through that and that incredibly weird final scene. But that's another discussion for another day. Listen, I, I was a child of the seventies and the early eighties and Tron when it came out was like right in my wheelhouse. I was the perfect age for what at the time was, and may still be to a certain degree, the perfect movie because it combined my love of video games and my love of technology and the utilization of special effects that I'm sure we'll get into that we had never seen before. And I was and remain to this day still am still fascinated by this film in a lot of different respects.
0: It's so interesting because it leads us to so much additional technology that we would see throughout the 80s. And then when we get a chance to talk about legacy here in a little bit too, that also gives us some new technology that we are living through today within the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all of these other film franchises that are using the de-aging technology that really was used uh, to really first, uh, in a lot of ways, in Tron Legacy, but Brett, What about you? What's your relationship to Tron, the original film, and also this film franchise?
2: Yes, I saw it when it came out in movie theaters before the VHS and all of that, yes. And I was so excited. Well, the other thing that was so exciting about Tron is that there was a um there was like a commercial or you know yeah, yeah Disney having some sort of cross promotion for Epcot which came out shortly after Tron you know opened that summer. So I was there for the whole Tron experience and also for the little preview of Epcot. So I loved that so much. But yeah, I mean I'm kind of where you are Lou, you know, as far as I'm like Tron the the video game one of my favorites. I'm like going I'm there were things that I was kind of good at and and you always wanted to do the light cycle and you wanted to do the light cycle all the time, but you had to do those, you know, other spider things and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. So yeah, it was the, it was a wonderful time. I remember being there and I had a great time with the movie. Mm -hmm.
0: Now I know that you were there opening day of Epcot, Brett, um, but were you in sort of the Orlando area? Is this something that you would have seen?
2: No, No, I did not see. I saw it here in central Illinois.
0: Okay. Nice. All right.
2: I was we, and I saw it at the central, or excuse me, at the Senate theater in Springfield,
0: Illinois. That is long gone, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's so great. Now I um, am probably, I'm definitely aging myself here, but uh, I was actually uh, four years, not born yet uh, when Tron initially came out. I was born in 1986, but I remember that Tron is one of those uh, kind of pictures that like it, it had it had stood the test of time because it brought about like you were saying Lou this amalgamation of all these different types of technology video games were humongous at the time and uh, starting to really come into their own especially in that arcade space and then you had the movies of the 80s and this script to me is perfectly an 80s script it has like the best kind of uh, sort of innocuous villain that's out there like the big bad guy and then you get to just find Follow along with your heroes. And Jeff Bridges, of course, is someone that you really want to root for through the entire film as well. I would encourage listeners uh, throughout this conversation that if you've never seen Tron, it is very much available on Disney+. Plus. I went and watched it again the other day just to kind of recap for this episode. And it's incredible the amount of uh, effects that go into this film. Because I think that if some people are watching it for the first time, they may be surprised how much of the film really takes place inside of the video game and how much of it actually happens in that space. Um, Because I think from an outsider's perspective, you could get away with thinking, oh, they did a couple of scenes. You know, Jeff Bridges is in there for a while and he's in the light cycle and all of this. But really they built this uh, from scratch. So much so that at the time the Academy had decided that it could not be nominated for best visual effects because they thought that it was cheating to nominate this for visual effects. And that's so funny to us today because here we are, we're about to have uh, Avatar the way of water, which is entirely CGI uh, coming out in the next month. And so it's just incredible. Like you were saying, Lou, the technology that goes into this. And I kind of want to break that down with you a bit. So talk to us about your thoughts on this
1: as a movie that was allowing us to move forward visually. Yeah, I mean, when when you use superlatives like it was a groundbreaking film, it really was in terms of the utilization of computer-generated special effects. I mean, it did open the door for, like you said, Avatar and ev- everything that we've seen up until. And I think I read a, 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 a statistic like the computers that they had used to create the special effects, which again were sort of modern for the time, had like two megabytes of internal ram on it like you know a 200 megabyte hard drive which at the time probably seemed like i'll never use up all that memory but when you first see it on screen and like you i saw it on the big screen it was and and analogous to sort of like that star wars effect and what i mean by that is if you saw star wars the original the only and episode four in 1977 on the screen. And that star destroyer came across the screen. there was a moment that you'll never forget when you see him, Jeff Bridges go onto the grid and you see the light cycle and you see Sark and you see all the, there's a moment that you sort of look and like, what is it that we're watching? And and we take for granted today, but even if you do go back and watch it on Disney plus, especially if you get to see it on a larger screen, some of those graphics, I mean, still for what they are and what they were intended to be really sort of, of held up. And it was the first time we sort of entered the, again, I was a video game. I was a video arcade nerd. We were able to enter into those computer generated spaces in a way we had never seen before.
0: It's just uh, remarkable to be able to be put in that kind of a, a situation, and I, I'm trying to think about like a a modern day equivalent. And I would say that perhaps the the first Avatar would um, be something that I might equate that to, because I remember that real 3D technology that you're going into the theater, and that became a movie where people were like, you have to go see this in the theater for whatever it might be uh, from a story perspective. A lot of people, you know, uh, poke fun at James Cameron for it being kind of like Dances with Wolves or Fern Gully and all that. But visually, it really created the world of Pandora in such a way that, of course, Disney Imagineers would take and run with uh, later on. But Brett, what were your thoughts on this?
2: Well, I'm thinking kind of in a sort of cinematic history sort of way, it, when you see it, when I saw it in the, in the theater, it would kind of take you back to when people saw The Wizard of Oz the first time. It was so mm. bright and colorful and different. And this was just such an interesting aesthetic. And the idea that all of this is taking place in a computer, in a computer game, it, the first time that you're seeing that, it's just it's, it's just. St- stunning. And, and it was so interesting in, in preparing for today's interview to kind of go down the geeky rabbit hole for this, because there's, there are some, there are some extras out there. I think there are some on the DVDs, which I did not get to chance to watch, but I did watch some of the extras on Disney+. Plus. There was, um, let's see, on the actual Tron extras, there was uh, a special with Steven um, Leisberger. Uh, who's the the director? And he and his son were looking through some materials that he had, um, and so that was and that was where they mentioned that that he did not see or the production didn't see the actual compositing of the film. They didn't know how it was going to look until halfway through the filming, which is like going, this is like cutting edge stuff for a first time filmmaker on, and it's, you know, it's a Disney film. So the idea of, well, we think it's going to work. Oh yeah, it's going to, I'm sure that boosted their confidence as they continued with the shoot. But the other extra was on Disney plus was prop culture. And it, they went into lots of detail and they had, you know, artists and so many, it was just so much fun to watch that and that they were saying that the technology this was groundbreaking technology obviously but it was a new ways to make movies that they've never done since (laughs) because uh because this was there was computer animation but there was also sort of in camera and other techniques that they used that was so difficult and so laborious that you know that uh this was the one and only time they did that so i think that makes that extra special
0: Yeah, you can spend like an entire day checking out Tron on Disney Plus here. And that that prop culture episode is uh, wonderful as well. And you know, we've been talking a lot about the technology, but it's also interesting from a company perspective. And Lou, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, that this is an edgier film for Disney at the time. And I think that they are starting to look at the, the creation of the summer blockbuster in the 70s came with Jaws and then it was continued with films like Star Wars. And so I think that Disney, of course, through films like Black Hole and now Tron are trying to sort of grab up some of that market share as well. And this ultimately is a more adult centered film focusing, even though it is involving video games and whatnot, it's not necessarily um, children's fair, which Disney had been known for at the time. And this is really kind of the precursor to them opening up touchstone pictures, which would of course take us through the late eighties and early nineties with some amazing films that were more focused on adults. So uh, just wondering about the, the story perspective,
1: Lou, and what your thoughts are on the film from that angle. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up the black hole because I think the two films are actually tied closer than people might think because Disney does look to capitalize on the Star Wars phenomenon with something like black hole, which possibly to its detriment, I think may have been too adult, too mature, not in in a bad way, but too sort of mature for a younger audience again watch the last 10 minutes you're going to need like therapy after because I still don't know what was going on there. And I think Tron was as well. While it may have appealed to kids, my age who were that 12 to 14, there was a, a a maturity level, I think to both of those films, which may have actually hurt them. Um, Maybe I think Disney was trying to take too large of a step into These type of spaces, which maybe is why they didn't make another live action film for, I think, almost a decade because they didn't work in the box office like Tron's success was not in the box office. Tron's success was in the video game and the merchandising that came as a result of the Tron film and of of which there really was no real merchandising that came out of Black Hole again for a variety of reasons. Like I had Black Hole like you couldn't make the Black Hole figures with guns. Like Disney wouldn't allow guns for the black hole figure. So like, what are you going to have them do? Just sort of walk around and talk (laughs) together. So, um, you know, they may have almost been victim of trying to take too big of a bite at the apple from a, not from a, a storytelling perspective, but maybe in terms of who the audience is that may have, it may have resonated with most. And that
0: might be a really great transition point that uh, what adult content looks like from Disney's perspective in the 80s versus what it's going to look like in 2010 with Tron Legacy. Um, And I am glad that, you know, they get back to live action films because, of course, they make the best movie ever made in The Rocketeer in the uh, early 90s, right? So, which is wonderful. Uh, Brett is laughing because I have to mention mention The Rocketeer at least a couple of times every time we talk about Disney and film. But um, Brett, your thoughts on the story and then also... I'd love to kind of as a wrap up to the first Tron film mention and throw out there that if you have any particular scenes or, or characters or anything like that, that you enjoy that you wanted to mention, you certainly can open floor for that too, Brett. Hmm. Well, uh,
2: I think, you know, cause we were talking off camera about this a bit and you, you had a, not necessarily misgivings, but just some questions about you. are kind of, you're talking about this as an eighties movie, <laughs> Which being there, I'm like going. The eighties were wonderful, but anyway, uh, I, I, I. When I was watching it yesterday, I was thinking some films work as art, and nothing else is needed. And when I was watching it this time around, you know the visuals. I mean, the story is simplistic in some ways, but I'm like going. They're dealing with a lot, you know, a big topic here, so we need to kind of keep it pared down, maybe. And the music everything is just such an art piece that I just enjoyed it for that and the soundtrack is actually still playing in my head right now so and thank goodness Mm -hmm. it isn't black hole da 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 da. Nothing against (laughs) black hole, um, Lou, but that will stick with you. Anyway, I will behind the.
0: Behind the podcast, Lou, I have to tell you that when I was talking to Brett about this episode, and I go, "Well, we're going to have Lou on, and I know he loves the black hole, so maybe we can have him talk
1: about that." And Brett goes, "How about we talk about Tron?" <laughs> <laughs> Oops, sorry. Remember, love, love the black hole is is contextual, right? It is okay. Not, you know, it is not a perfect Disney film, but. You know, again, we were in that Star Wars sort of motif. Right. So the fact that and look, I loved Vincent and Bob, like Slim Pickens, just as Bob is, is such a great um voice yes. actor perfor- performance. But I think, too, you know, what's interesting about this film is that it made us sort of think in a Matrix-esque like way of thinking, like giving personalities to these bits and bytes, these invisible things that sort of lived on our computers or on our video games, was such a radical way of thinking. And I think you're right about, right about sort of putting it in terms of it almost may have been too sort of artsy for people to get. It was it was also a little mm-hmm. confusing. I mean, it was not the most like clear cut. <laughs> you didn't always understand exactly what was going on unless you were a video game nerd. Right.
2: Yes. Well, it was, and it was also, you know, this was a time when home computers were not quite available. I, yeah, I think that, but it's kind of the themes of an omniscient computer, you know, and, you know, like this malevolent computer before computers were, were um, commonplace. I think one of the, uh, something that, that I read yesterday or heard yesterday from the director is that that was one of his regrets is that um, it was kind of the computer became the bad guy and he really given what computers and the, the tool that they were going to become very shortly, that that was kind of something that um, he regrets a little bit. So that was interesting.
0: Well, something that, you know, you bringing that up, something I didn't necessarily catch um, when I was younger and watched this, uh, but what I did catch this week is that it really parallels for me the 1984 Super Bowl spot that Apple releases, the Big Brother spot that's so famous. Because, Mm -hmm. I mean, even like looking at sort of the uh, programs and the users that are in Tron and on the grid. It almost looks uh, identical to some of the uh, more captive people that are in that Big Brother spot as well. And it's sort of the same grayscale textures and stuff like that. So it's almost like, I don't want to say that that ad was in response to Tron by any means, but certainly it played with the same kind of ideas and parallels in my mind.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So let's move on to Tron Legacy. So we get a uh, announcement and this is really one of the first films. This is when San Diego Comic-Con was becoming such a huge draw for not only the comic book nerds among us, but also uh, for lots of studios to start really pushing this. And San Diego Comic-Con, they, this movie went and went to a Hall H panel for three years in a row uh, getting sort of some of the uh, buzz around Tron Legacy to come up. And I will tell you, I did not get a chance to see this film until this week. And I absolutely, Loved this film. I thought it was uh, pretty remarkable in how it went about telling its story, how it really gave you some uh, background information to uh, the characters, it kind of allowed you to really feel nostalgic for the original film while also moving forward, particularly the technology, and then that Daft Punk soundtrack which I know is going to be heavily featured on the attraction at Walt Disney World is just amazing. (laughs) So, um, so Lou, I'll start with you again. Uh, What are your kind of initial thoughts or um, some thoughts about
1: Tron legacy? So I remember when it was announced that legacy was going to be the second of the trilogy that the Tron films was, was supposed to be. And every little fiber of my nerdy teenage year being like got excited because I had carried so much of Tron with me. I still have my original action figures <clears throat> collectible oh, cool. from 1982, like <laughs> in mint condition with their glow-in-the-dark discs on their backs. Cause oh I'm wow. A nerd. So I was incredibly excited for when it came out. Uh, I didn't know at the time the name Adam Harwitz and Edward Kitsis, who would go on to pen a number of episodes in of Lost, which is my favorite TV show of all mm-hmm. time it didn't do as well in the box office, much like the original Tron did. Like the expectations were high. There was a certain level of fandom that certainly went out and went out more than once to go and see it. But I, I wonder too, if this film suffered from one relying so heavily on the knowledge of the original story, which some people admittedly might not be able to get through, right? Cause it's not, necessarily the most rewatchable film if you're not a child of the 80s and a somewhat confusing storyline like you have to sort of really buy into what's going on and wait who's the users and clue and this why does he look like a younger Mm -hmm. but visually it's stunning it is a breathtakingly beautiful film just purely from an aesthetic point of view with that soundtrack i think there's some really memorable performances and scenes in there But again, doesn't do well enough in the box office to allow for that third, you know, conclusion film to get made.
0: Yeah, and you're absolutely right that you know domestically this makes, and I'm looking this up, um, citing my source here from the numbers.com, but domestically this film brings in $172 million, but that's barely scratching, the, That that's basically just covering the expenses of the production. And as we sort of know from following movies, what typically you do in production costs, you almost match that in marketing expenses as well. The worldwide gross for Tron Legacy comes just under $400 million. And it actually does very well Overseas, especially in China, which is probably why we will talk about it here in just a little bit as uh, an attraction that comes to Shanghai Disneyland as well. But I I think it's interesting because I don't know why I would have missed this film, you know. And I think maybe I, I'm the reason. I'm the the fault that this doesn't make as much money. People like you, me, who you. Were, well, we were so into I think about 2010. We uh, Dark Knight comes out in 2008, uh, along with Iron Man. And then we really get off to the races with what will become the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I may be off on my dates slightly here, but I believe that the original Avengers movie comes out in 2011. And so you get so much of those films leading up to it. And I think that maybe... For me personally, at the time, Tron may have been too backwards-looking uh, when I was trying to look forward into what would become now my my favorite film franchise and my you know all of these nerd things that were happening all around the same time. But but Brett, what about you? What was your experience with Tron Legacy?
2: Uh, well, having loved the first, I was I could not wait until the second one. Um, I felt I think uh, I think when I was in the theater. Uh, it was not a packed uh, theater and it was disappointing, you know, I'm like going, cause it is so gorgeous. And I love all the, uh the shout outs and all, of, I mean, the lines that are the same, some of the, you know, the big door that, uh, that, that they used to get into income, income, I think anyway, mm-hmm. is the same door, you know, and I just loved all of those little shout outs to that. and, um, I think we'll probably talk about kind of the de aging. But if I remember correctly, at the time it, uh, since that was cutting edge and ish in two thousand ten, uh, this is following Benjamin Button. Um, but I'm like going, it just looked, um, it 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 wasn't as jarring as it is when you watch it now. But but I I really enjoyed it and was hoping that it would do. Better than it did. <laughs> and because I was ready for a third, I was ready for a fourth. I was ready, come on, bring it. So, you know, so that was, uh, yeah. But again, and again, rewatching this now, yesterday again, it's as I will say again, some films work as art and it is just glorious to watch, you know. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed it from that perspective. Well, of and times, really.
0: I actually really liked the script out of the second one quite a bit. I, I enjoyed the story. It gave more uh, meat to the characters. Now, it's a longer movie. It's, it clocks in right uh, over two hours, whereas the original was really right at an hour and 25 minutes. Probably part of that was because how much do you have to render to make this uh, movie yeah. happen? But it to me, I, I like where they were going, the direction that they were um, allowing us to go, feeling some of that nostalgia, but also kind of going towards this dystopian idea of a future um, and I loved when, you know, he is when Sam Flynn is explaining to his dad, Kevin, what Wi-Fi is and some of these like more modern technology that, uh, of course, Jeff Bridges' character doesn't experience because he's been sucked into the grid and he's been stuck there ever since. And so there are lots of this uh, movie that I really enjoy and certainly, again, recommend that anybody that hasn't caught this, this is available on Disney Plus, and you can definitely go and check that out as well. But I, I think it's sort of interesting that it's a bit of a box office disappointment because it does seem like a film that maybe in a way missed out a bit on its timing. And I say that because now we are in such a like easter egg culture i mean um lou for as part of ww radio you have lots of different social media pages you have the clubhouse but you also have this great spoiler support group and that group is basically built upon all the easter eggs that marvel gives us from this property or that property or star wars or whatever it is but what do you think about that as a premise that the the
1: idea that this might have been kind of a ill-timed movie potentially well, I think that's what the, the idea was. I think what what, what Kitsits and Horowitz wanted to do was was sort of pay homage to the first film, expand the storyline and expand the world that, that was living in. And they said, look, we want to create an entirely new mythology for new fans. This is sort of laying the groundwork for not as just what is going to be another film, but I don't know if we we're going to talk about Tron uprising, right? The animated series, you know, theme park attractions, video games, like this was supposed to sort of being opening the door for much more than just the retelling of the, you know, Kevin Flynn and, and his son's storyline. Um, I think the timing of when it came out is difficult being so distant from the first film. There, there's, there's an inherent disconnect and if you didn't grow up with that film this is a tough sort of jumping into point because some things might not only be confusing but it's also a dark I mean not just visually dark but it's a relatively dark film like it's not a really like big uplifting like you know <laughs> you're right like <laughs> movie so you have to sort of buy into this idea of, of wanting to f- explore that mythology which I did I was all in for a third film and and who knows? Maybe um, maybe that, you know, that that good idea is not necessarily dead going forward. Well, and I think that really depends on
0: how popular this attraction becomes. And certainly I want to talk about that here in a minute. But the idea is that if people start to come to Tomorrowland in the Magic Kingdom and they have this IP there, then I think one of the best ways to help continue to promote that IP is potentially through uh, maybe finishing up this uh, trilogy as well. But Brett brings up the idea of de-aging and someone that hadn't seen this before, initially they do this long shot of Jeff Bridges' character before he goes into the grid. It's supposed to be sort of uh, after the first film. His uh, Sam is now like 10 years old and this is where his father gets essentially sucked into the grid and stays there. And I think that from my perspective, I was understandable that the de-aging was going to look rough, but it was almost because they did such a a long shot of it that it almost made it seem worse to me uh, in like 2022 glasses. That being said, at the time in 2010, this would have been uh, pretty remarkable to be able to see. Brett just mentioned Benjamin Button. We see it in that um, to somewhat mixed results. And then same here, but they're progressing to a point where now de-aging technology is uh, pretty remarkable in what it's able to do. I mean, we saw the scene of Michael Douglas in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And I mean, you see all these different um times that it's been utilized. Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. When he's on stage with his younger self. So there's now we get to see that technology more freely and it uh, is being utilized so much better because we have the technology behind it. But this was really a remarkable feat to put so much of this de-aging into one movie. And even still to this day, you don't get movies where one of the main characters or the main villain is de because it costs so much money to do it. Yeah. And also they're worried about that whole uncanny valley. So Lou, we talked about the visual effects of the first, but
1: maybe talk a bit about the visual effects of the second here too. So maybe I was just a, a kid slash guy that was so excited to see Tron on screen again. When I saw that first image of the de-aged Jeff Bridges, I was like, oh, my God, that's awesome. Not that I was just looking at all the cool stuff that was on the his shelf. Oh, on this, I'm like, I had that and I had that. I had that yeah. But I was like, wow, that's remarkable. And and yes, later on in the film, there are some. But remember when the movie like remember when it came out again, we're looking at it with 2022 mm-hmm. lens where we can do de-aging on our phone. Right. We can sort of yep. pretend to be anything <laughs> that, we want, that we want on our phone and change our voices. But in 2010, we hadn't really seen anything like that before. And we instantly had the connective tissue to the earlier film, right? It brought us back. We saw the little old light cycle up on the shelf. We saw Jeff Bridges and we were in, right? And I was all in on the idea of So it was not as jarring to me as a first time viewer back then, 12 years later with the technology expanding exponentially. Um, I mean, I still think it's fine. I still think it's mm-hmm. one. Right. There's, there's a lot worse technology. Like, it's better than you see in a lot of video games, right? In terms of, <laughs> right. <the> way, you <laughs> yeah. know, people, the, the, the characters' mouths move. Yes,
0: and this was one of the most expensive films. It was the most expensive film by a first-time director at 170 million to produce this as well. So, um Brett, any other thoughts on Tron Legacy before we continue to kind of move along here in the Trondom that is today's episode, <laughs> the Trondom.
2: Oh my gosh, is that like the Thunder Zone? I don't know. Is the Trondom? I don't know. Uh I think it's uh, it is, I think the nostalgia for the first film is, is probably um, important in the selling of the second one. So it didn't, it maybe wasn't as successful um, with regular people, not, you know, the Disney nerds or, you know, science fiction nerds. And that's unfortunate because there's a missed opportunity. Oh, I did want to say that as far as casting, yes, everyone was great, but Michael Sheen is so good (laughs) in this. Yeah. I'm like going, yeah. uh, I, I just enjoyed that. I mean, and apparently I did a little IMDB research and that apparently he was a huge fan of the first film and that he was, his agents didn't want him to like, you know, because he basically do it for free, I guess. So, but I'm like, like well, it's good to know that, that he was a big fan of the first one and got to be in this because he's really good, even though he's, you know, anyway, I question his morals here in this
1: film. I think David yeah. Warner in the first film was, was really, really good. Oh, as sure. A yeah. And Sark. Uh, I I also loved Cindy Morgan, but for completely different reasons. (laughs) Completely (laughs) different reasons. Yeah. (laughs) That's so great. Now, um, Cindy um, Morgan as Yuri or Olivia Wilde as Cora, which was sort of the the better counterpart? Yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And well... (laughs) Now we, know, as, uh, now we know uh now we know aesthetic
0: Wilde
2: sense as or as a character a, yeah yeah I, I i love, love them
0: both but <laughs> olivia
2: i don't know ms olivia is pretty you know
1: she specific. was good i i liked her i, I liked yeah. her in that role there was something like smart and sassy about her yeah. And, and yeah i liked and i yeah. i really wanted to see where that character would go in future films um alongside um sam Yep. Yes, absolutely. Now
0: you mentioned something, Lou, that I was able to kind of see that it was part of Tron, um, but not necessarily something that I've actually had a chance to really check out. But going in and doing the research on this, this cast for this Disney XD series that lasted one season, Tron Uprising, is incredible. I mean, not only like you got the leads like Elijah Wood, um, but you've got, you know, people from Mandy Moore to uh, Paul Rubens is in this, David Arquette, Paul Shear, Donald Faison. I mean, like, This is an incredible, I'm going to go watch this tonight, Lou. (laughs) Need to check this out. But did you, uh, did you follow along with Tron Uprising?
1: So I didn't, and I regret, and I'm going to go back. I keep telling my son that like, we need to go back. We need to watch this again because he's 17 now. And we're going to enjoy these things together differently. And he's like, dad, remember what happened last time we tried to watch him? Like, I know, like I need to, because I'm in this sort of Tron mode now, like seeing the construction of, uh, of the attraction, hopefully coming to fruition soon. I want to go back with like open mind, open heart, and I want to just watch the original film. I want to watch Legacy, and I want to watch Uprising, and sort of let those all sort of connect the dots. Because you're right, the cast was great, and this again was meant to be so much more than the you know single season that we got. At, I, I mean, single season might even I think would we get like fifteen or so. I think after- it says nineteen episodes 19. is what
0: Elijah Wood did, so I'm assuming that that is uh, what we've got.
1: Yeah.
0: It's just uh, incredible, right? I mean, uh, that uh, this cast is together. And so we'll, I, I need to go back and check this out before uh, Light Cycle opens and be able to get it um, and, and see what where they would have taken the story from here. For sure. I like that you also said that you have to go back because you're such a lost fan, right? So <laughs> you're you're over there. You're like the Jack meme with your son. We've got to go back. we <laughs> got, got to go back. Go back. So uh, this is all great. But you mentioned Tr- Tron Light Cycle, which will be coming to Walt Disney World soon and has already, it was an opening day attraction at Shanghai Disneyland. And so I want to get your thoughts on, first of all, you're the only person on this call who has written Tron Light Cycle. It might have been on a different continent, but but uh, also the anticipation that we're going to have coming into Tomorrowland at Walt Disney World. So first, let's start with Shanghai Disneyland and kind of your experience on this attraction.
1: 1982, I am a 14-year-old kid who's watched Tron over and over again. Bought the, my dad bought the, the VHS tape, and all any of us wanted to do was ride a light cycle. We (laughs) pretended, and by we, I mean me, don't laugh at me. I pretended around my house. I pretended on my bicycle. I pretended all the time. Like, that's all I ever wanted to do was ride a light cycle. A couple of years ago, when I hosted a, a group ABD to Shanghai, I wanted to see the country which is spectacular and the Great Wall of China. But man, in the back of my mind, like, I couldn't wait to ride Tron because it is the ultimate realization of that childhood desire much like Galaxy's Edge is, right, of piloting the Falcon. You want to ride that light cycle? That is exactly what you do. And it is an amazing attraction during the day, but it is breathtaking at night. Um, The ride system, the coaster system, the the track layout and design is unlike anything that you've seen in any Disney park anywhere. It's inside, it's outside, it has the visuals, it has the music, I'm not going to spoil anything. But from the second you walk into that sort of load area you're in man you're mm-hmm. in and calm you're in the grid i had i mean i'm, I'm not going to show the video because it's probably embarrassing but i am smiling ear <laughs> to ear and becky who, who travels with me my travel agent partner was like i have never other than eating sushi in japan i've never seen lou Mangello so happy as when he rode tron oh wow Oh,
0: that's fantastic. And it, it, you know, I wonder if it's like, I had this experience recently because, Lou, we were supposed to be at uh, Disney World um, just before the, the pandemic. Was it would have been just after the pandemic shut everything down. And so I hadn't seen Galaxy's Edge for the longest time. And being able to sit in the Millennium Falcon cockpit with my son, and I know that Smuggler's Run is kind of thought of as the also-rand attraction in that area next to Rise of the Resistance, which of course is amazing to be in as well, to be in the movie like that. But um, there was something about sitting he, we, the, the nice people, the very kind people in front of us allowed my six-year-old son to pilot the Millennium Falcon with me. And holy moly, were they in for a ride, Lou? (laughs) It's it's so funny because he couldn't even, uh, he was too short to reach the hyperdrive and he was in the second pilot seat. So I had to like reach over and do that. And I mean, you get this sense. It's when these uh, properties are so important to you as a person and like you've come to really enjoy this and then to be able to experience it that's what we love about disney imagineering and disney attractions because and yes we love the original ips that's really cool to get to go to someplace like haunted mansion or pirates of the caribbean where you know you don't necessarily know that from the movies originally um but now it's like to be able to live in that kind of a, a geek world is so
1: amazing it's just incredible and i you know i think disney as a company Follow me around the room for a second. Disney as a company sure. is very different than most other companies. Most other com- companies will create a product, they'll create an action figure, a toy, whatever, and then build a story around that. Right? They'll release the action figures, and then there's the animated series. Disney does it differently. Disney creates the stories first, right? Creates amazing stories, and then builds the product afterwards. You're going to sell way more Elsa figures after releasing Frozen than releasing a Frozen, you uh, know, an Ice Princess doll and then trying to release an animated film after that. Mm -hmm. This cycle is going to sort of go the same way and then backwards because you've got this movie franchise, this story that creates the attraction. But I think what the attraction is going to do is create this renewed interest in a franchise that I bet you 75% of the people walking into Magic Kingdom don't necessarily know what a Tron is. They they don't know Mm -hmm. what the story is. They've never seen the film. But they're going to walk out and go, wait a minute, there's two movies based on this, there's an animated series based on this, and there is going to be this renewed interest in these films, in these properties, hopefully in these characters. And I, my hope is that the attraction will now catapult a new story being written. Yeah,
0: that would be, uh, that'd be
1: great. Brett, what are your
0: thoughts about Tron light cycle coming to Walt Disney world? I'm guessing you're going to sneak down there before I am. Although I will oh, say nice. we have a March trip booked um, Lou. We are recent mm. DVC purchasers. And so we will be at wilderness lodge and the beach club. So any buddy from Disney listening to this around March 19th <laughs> might be a perfect day for uh, some previews of the light cycle, but Brett, what are your thoughts about this attraction coming to Tomorrowland?
2: Well, I'd be very excited if you get to write it before me, Craig, because it's about time. You know, I I, I want, I, you know, I was late to the Disney Cruise Line experience, and well, not that you lauded that over me or anything like that, certainly, but um, you know, and 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 as and try as you might to convince me that I, you know, rub Disneyland that you haven't been in that. Well, anyway, that's just a tragedy. But anyway, in this instance, I really hope that you do get to go this go on this before me um i'm like going i uh, yeah. i'm like going i uh lou i've got to ask you is it a smooth roller coaster you know i'm like, it like is. is it, it is. is it not as wild and crazy on uh one's system as uh as as uh cosmic rewind cosmic rewind yes because yeah. i'm like no, oh my gosh
1: yeah it's completely different good um, okay so yeah I, so
2: yeah so my my hesitation uh you know i'll be going on it once anyway to make it, <laughs> to see it and hopefully more than that but but you know i if i may for a moment kind of talk about this tron legacy ha, 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 in the parks yeah. there's two things and actually um lou since you are the disney trivia expert that you are i do have i have a question for you um let's see first of all let's just ask the question first okay horizons i believe the omnisphere uh had parts of the tron kind of transition from the real real world to the computer world i remember that there are and i i was trying to look at some of the youtube videos and since they were on a loop you, you just got what you got but i specifically remember that there were a few uh, moments in the omnisphere that
1: had that do you know if that's true now you've got me thinking about this sort of vector graphics, sort of green vector graphics type of scene. I might be sort of manufacturing this in my mind's eye, but now I want to go back and try and see it as well. You might You're be good.
2: You I think, be- I really think there's a, a moments of it. It's not the whole thing, but it's, You know, there's a transition. Well, great. Oh, my gosh. Did I? I did not stump him. I would never say that. I would never. You're welcome to do research and get back with me on that. Okay. The other thing is something that was, you know, Disney doing its cross promotion. It was really interesting that when uh, Tron was coming out, that Disney California Adventure had the wonderful celebration of Electronica. It was awesome. And it ran so long. It ran from October 2010 to April 2012. So, and you know, it was a reason to party in <laughs> at DCA, but it was also just lots of fun and very interesting and extremely great theming. And that was fun. It wasn't the, you it wasn't the Alice's party, but it was, but the people loved it. So I, you know, this cross promotion, it's not that Tron legacy was not, uh, they, the marketing and, and sort of the theme park, uh, uh, people were trying to do that cro- cross promotion, so and I'd say that they were pretty successful with Electrónica. Did you have a chance to see it?
1: I regret no? not going. Oh yeah, I wish it I was cool. It was yeah. very cool. So. They had Laser Man there, like the guy who did the lasers with his hands. And yes, <laughs> Laser
2: really Man seems like
0: the best guy. I think. Uh, <laughs> I think that just sounds awesome. I want that. I want that gig. Um, but you know, I will say I'm such a Tomorrowland person. When you everybody asks, which way, which direction from the hub do you go? I immediately go right. And I go right in Tomorrowland. And I love the people mover and I love Space Mountain. I got to experience Space Mountain at the uh, recent Halloween party with the blackout. And that was an incredible, I, I mentioned on our podcast, Lou, it was like a spiritual experience. I'm, I'm there <laughs> at like one o'clock in the morning and, um, you know, riding this uh, amazing attraction in the dark. But I, you know, I love that this is updating that land to a certain extent. I really enjoy the idea of Tomorrowland being what Walt really intended Tomorrowland to be, and that being sort of this aspirational future. And so there's something about this attraction and the way that it's changing the landscape of Tomorrowland for me, that really does look so bright and aspirational that even though Space Mountain is such a a beauty to behold, that second landmark of the Magic Kingdom, now you get this like almost like drape over the top of it that is just absolutely stunning to the eye, and so I think it's going to be cool that it will bring people back into Tomorrowland. Not that they need—I mean, Magic Kingdom is quite busy all the time—but giving somebody another reason to give that land a second look um, and to really put it into competition with areas like uh, New Fantasy Land or Adventure Land, and it—it it really truly is something that I think will liven up the place even more, uh, make it more electric than it already is in Tomorrowland.
1: You know, I've been saying for the past couple of years, and obviously COVID played its part, that I I really believe in my little heart of hearts that Tomorrowland and Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World, and possibly even Disneyland as well, is next in line for a major refurbishment and a a major facelift. I think in terms of storytelling, in terms of, of time and place, And I think that Tron is going to be the first thing to help usher that in. I was there a couple of nights ago and Stitch's Great Escape is closed. Some of Mm. the shops have been closed, have been rethemed. Some of them are now just seating areas. Like the death knell is sounding, I think, for Tomorrowland as we know it. And I think depending on this might be a wait and see thing, maybe depending on the success, the acceptance, the, the fan response and the new fan response, to Tron that might be something that starts to bleed over into Tomorrowland and please would somebody just make an end of line club in Tomorrowland like uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, yes. absolutely. It'll <laughs> be interesting to see where the parks go. And of course, we have got a lot of the blue skying that happened in the presentation that both of you were in the room for. I'm not uh, at all, you know, jealous here <laughs> in the middle of my Zoom screen between two D23 Expo attendees. Um, but, you know, I, as we begin to sort of wrap this up, I, it's just incredible to see what the Imagineers continue to do to these parks. Yes, we are getting Tron that's coming over from China. Um, but to, the original ideas and the imagination that they bring to us can just fill us with so much joy it's incredible to get those experiences and to be able to uh, kind of relive your fandom as much as you know in the real world sometimes it's difficult uh directions and choices that the company makes um you may or may not agree with it's cool to have these areas in the parks that uh relit that excitement for you every single time you walk through the gates at Magic Kingdom or any of the other Walt Disney World properties or properties at Disney parks around the world as well. Um, But I was going to mention towards the end of this, Lou, that one of the ways that up here in central Illinois, it's getting really cold, by the way, that I get to experience this is because of the amazing work that you do and the the way that you connect with fans in a way that is just incredible it, for, as a podcaster I look up to you because you're like the Mount Rushmore of Disney podcast but also you uh, have such a way of communicating your passion for the parks and bringing people, um, you know, bringing on these guests that you have, but also just allowing people to experience the parks with you through your live shows and everything else. So if there might be one of our listeners for some reason has not had the pleasure of ever knowing who you are, please uh, help correct that by (laughs) telling them how they can go about finding uh, the show, but also
1: everything else that you do as well. Well, it's very kind of you and I I really appreciate um, you're, I'm just gonna play this. I'm gonna play this part of the podcast back over and over. My, if I remember having a bad day, I'm just gonna play that little segment back. You can find everything I do over at wdwradio.com. I've been podcasting for almost 18 years now. I do live video every Wednesday. I have audio tours and books and events and blog and I don't even a lot of other stuff as well. And you can just find everything there. Um, and I'm at Lumangello on all social media and uh, um and, uh, you know, I think we gave
0: you all of our rapid fire questions last time that you were here. But any updates to favorite snacks or favorite restaurants here? You told us the boathouse uh, before. I still have not been. I'm sorry. I will. I promise. Well, come it's down. so hard to go to Disney. And you, brother, we got, we'll make this happen. I know. Right. Like, I'm always like, I, I'm only in the parks. I'm one of those guys, Lou, that's like, I'm in the parks for this amount of seconds in a year. I need to. <laughs> I can't go to Disney Springs during this, so I need to. It's change a research that mindset. trip.
1: You need to get the research trip into your vocabulary.
0: Ah, All right, but anything you
1: recommend, uh, other uh,
0: either restaurants or snacks that you have that are kind of new that you'd like to recommend to our listeners?
1: So keeping Boathouse out of the equation, I think Takumi Tei in the Japan Pavilion is an is the overlooked treasure of Walt Disney World. I will dare I say dare dare. Takumite is the overall best dining experience in Walt Disney world, possibly in the domestic theme parks. Oh, nice. That is great. That is great. I'm I'm obviously partial to Japanese food too. So
0: yes, that's, uh, that's wonderful. Um, Brett, did you have any final questions for Lou or anything you wanted to mention about Tron as we start to wrap up?
2: Well, I guess I have a food question Lou, since you're here, Monsieur Paul, have you done that
1: dining experience? I did it years and ye- like a long time ago. When okay. Very, very first opened. Uh, I've only done it once. I think it's time I go back. I think I need to I, keep
2: it. It has a new buzz, apparently. A new buzz, you know, yeah. it's this, yeah. I'm like going, yeah, bring, bring your wallet. <laughs> and I guess it's very hard to get reservations as well because it's, it's open for such a limited time, but yeah. Yeah, aspirational dining. I think I'll call it that. I like that aspirational.
0: Just take me to, I'm uh, running my first marathon, Lou, in January. So I will be... you know, trying to hobble my way around World Showcase uh, on January 8th. So in case you see I will me be there, out there cheering you on, brother. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. But um, so many fun and amazing attractions coming up to Walt Disney World. And again, thank you, Lou, for your continued coverage of all of it because it helps us kind of experience that through your eyes as well. And we all really do appreciate everything that you do. If this happens to be your first uh, Beyond the Mouse, you can go back and listen to our previous interviews but also just brett vanessa and i talking about the disney parks or the disney films i do know that we have an episode on disenchanted coming up in the very near future Uh, we also recently have spoken to a couple of new disney legend imagineers so we have those the disney imagineers that were codified as disney legends at the d23 2022 expo so check out those interviews as well you can follow us on social media on instagram we're beyond the mouse pod on twitter beyond mouse and then also on facebook we have two ways to follow along with us and that's beyond the mouse our podcast page but then also beyond the mouse podcast pals which is our group that we have really would love for you to jump in there because that's where we can interact with one another and really talk about all things disney and our love for that as well we're going into the holiday season here as we start to round off our year, and I can't wait to celebrate. I already turned on Muppets Christmas Carol the other night, so it has started, it has begun, and we'll see what Disney has in store for us moving forward. The Santa Clauses just dropped the other day. I need to check that out as well, but we'll certainly have weekly episodes for you all the way up until the end of the year where we get to do our final episode recap of the year, and I can't wait for that as well. So, for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Brett and I'm Lou and we will see you real soon in the front row probably the front row of Tron light cycle right Lou
1: gotta ride in the front row
0: oh in the front (laughs) okay that virtual queue is gonna be mad I imagine